Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex from BTN.com, and I'm talking to you now from the desolate wasteland of what it feels like to be excluded from the college football playoff. Uh, as you probably saw, the Big Ten was left out of the top four picture of the college football playoff after Ohio State beat Wisconsin this past Saturday in the Big Ten Championship game. That left them as the only realistic option to get in. And the college football playoff committee chose Alabama, second SEC team, over the Buckeyes. So no Big Ten teams in the college football playoff for the first time. And it leaves us kind of in uncharted territory here and kind of left to talk about what now and break down bowls that, you know, are big bowls and will be entertaining but don't have any national title implications. So, yeah, I mean, I was just in Indianapolis this past weekend with a lot of colleagues and had a great time. We all watched a, it was a fantastic game and, you know, as sloppy as it was at times, it was really entertaining and it was close and it came down in the final minute and Ohio State pulled it out and, you know, you're, you're thinking after that game, is it going to be enough to get them in? So you're kind of bask in the, the celebration and see the, all the Buckeyes and players and coaches and fans having a good time. But then you get home Sunday and you settle down to watch that college football selection show, and you see that Alabama logo pop up in the fourth spot, and you're just kind of like, all right, well, what now? So with the bowls a few weeks away here still in all those Big Ten bowl matchups, a little bit down the road. I'm sure we'll break those down as we get closer, but I wanted to get a national college football writer in to kind of break down the landscape and what happened and the implications of the college football playoff committee's decisions to – Exclude Ohio State, include Alabama, and what it all means moving forward. So I got Tom Fornelli of CBSSports.com to join us, and he'll be our guest this week to talk football. And this isn't a normal football focus episode like we've done every week of the college football season where we bring in BTN.com's Tom Deanhart and a national guest. I think we're going to retire those for, for now with the weekly schedule coming to an end and might pick, might pick that up in basketball season we'll see how we schedule it out with the you know lack of symmetry in basketball as opposed to football but we'll figure something out so we did talk a lot of college football with tom fornelli but we also talk college basketball at the end of the show i brought in harold shelton who's our btn researcher i've been having him on for our weekly it's called stat head segment where we talk you know, football and some college basketball behind the numbers. Today, I want to bring him in just to talk college basketball exclusively and with a close focus on the Big Ten because we have played a week of Big Ten basketball already, as many of you know. We're in that unique year with the tournament in New York City where we got two conference games for each team out of the way early in order to make room for that early Big Ten tournament set up in New York City uh, with it taking place a week ahead of schedule. So, brought Harold in to talk Big Ten, not only Big Ten basketball, but how the Big Ten has fared nationally and the implications of some of the down performances that we've seen against the ACC, against the Big East, and in various other non-conference matchups. So, a lot of good college football and basketball discussion in this, packed into this episode. And before we get to both of those discussions, just a couple of reminders. One, um, if you haven't already, please subscribe to and rate the podcast. We are on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and Google Play. So leave a comment if you like the show as well. And another reminder that we still have a coupon code active on the btn.com online store where you can find uh, Big Ten school apparel, that licensed merchandise, team gear, a lot of good stuff. And our coupon code is Take 10, it's T-A-K-E-1-0, all caps, and you can use that Take 10 promo code to take 10% off your order at the btn.com online store. So, you know, the holiday season, I've been saying it for a few weeks now, get your holiday shopping done, still plenty of time to get on there, get what you need, use that Take 10 promo code, and take 10% off your order there. All right, so now that those reminders are out of the way, we'll start talking college football none other than Tom Fornelli of CBSSports.com. That starts right now. 
I'm very pleased to be joined by a national college football writer for CBSSports.com. He is uh, the king of trusting the process, and his name is Tom Fornelli. You can follow him on Twitter, at Tom Fornelli. Tom, uh, you know, I was going to try and get the turf guy from Indy Saturday night on the show, but he wasn't available, so you were next in line. So welcome. I Now I feel bad for you, to be honest. <laughs> I think that... I think, I think we'd all want to hear from the turf guy from the Big Ten Championship game. It was, uh, I can't imagine having to do my job with not just like 70,000 people literally surrounding me watching me do it, but then millions of people at home watching me as well with the cameras zooming in on me as I'm trying to rake some rubber pellets. You know, I was uncomfortable for him. You know, like everyone, I was probably 30 feet from him on the sideline in Indy and like you said, just the sheer magnitude of that situation, everyone watching him and the fact that he had to do it alone and then we tried to actually get him for a quick interview because he ran off right in front of us in the tunnel and he declined. So, you know, he, he was, uh, he was big to us and, and going the no interview route. He's no, no, he, he's just, he's too humble. That's what it is. That's he, what it is. He doesn't want the spotlight on him. He wants it to be on the turf. That's what it is. The, the turf, uh, the turf gets all the attention. So moving on from turf guy, um, before we get into some college football discussion, I got to ask you, you know, you're on, Pardon My Take, which is the number one sports podcast for those who, who don't know, and, and uh, great job on that, by the way. But i got to ask, when you go on a show like Pardon My Take and they shout you out to all their, their followers, how many how many new Twitter followers do you get when you go on a show like that? A lot. <laughs> I, I, it's, I think it was about 4,000 last I checked that picked up since I showed up on the show. 4,000? So, yeah, 4,000 oh followers. Oh, my goodness. And, yeah, it's... It's a very strange thing. It's, I mean, I, I woke up the next morning because I, you know, they posted it at like 1 a.m. Chicago time. Yeah. And I woke up and it's just my entire notifications thing is, you know, a billion followers. It's just like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's nice. Same, uh, same boost, except expect the same boost when you, uh, wake up tomorrow morning and this podcast is up. I, I might get you 5,000, 6,000 new followers. I'm going for 10 grand. All right. Shoot for the moon. Um, one more question about your Twitter account before we move on to the real stuff here. You got to explain the dog meme to me because for those who don't follow Tom, uh, first of all, what are you doing? Go follow him. Uh, Tom has the surprise dog meme as his avatar. And maybe I'm just, you know, I don't get the cultural reference, but what is that from? Because I Googled it and I couldn't find out. So let me know. What's, what's, what's the origin? Uh, where's the origin of that? The dog is Mr. Peanut Butter from Bojack Horseman. Okay. On He's just one of the characters on the show. He's my favorite character on the show, and I just like his the face he made, so I made that my Twitter avatar because I just thought it would, went along well with the stupid things I say on Twitter. Well, he's so versatile. <laughs> I mean, you, you Photoshop into every situation, and it just fits. Yeah, it, it works in a lot of different situations because whether it's just whether it's the you know distracted guy meme where he's looking at the other girl or it's just any picture from a football game where somebody looks surprised or whatever, it works a million different ways and it's funny every time. At least it amuses me. I don't know about everybody else, but it amuses the hell out of me. I love it, and I had to find out like where that came from because the do- it, it takes over my timeline. You know, it's such a it's 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 such a iconic part of my my Twitter experience. Now I had to ask. Yeah, I hope maybe like by the time BoJack Horseman's done with its run on Netflix, I hope I'm more famous for the Mr. Peanut Butter Avatar than the actual character from the show is. I don't think that's an unrealistic <laughs> goal. But uh, yeah. All right, Tom, we'll move on to uh, the reason I brought you on uh, some college football playoff discussion, and we'll get get to some bowl discussion after that. But we'll start with the college football playoff because I know you wrote about it for CBS Sports. Um, you know, as everyone knows, Clemson, Georgia, Oklahoma, and Alabama were the four teams in, meaning. The Big Ten got left out in the cold. You know, I'm kind of wandering in the wilderness now as a BTN guy. It's kind of like post-apocalyptic now, and I don't know what to do with myself. But um, to be honest, the you know the result didn't really surprise me. Maybe a little bit. I, I didn't think that the Big Ten would ultimately be left out, but it wasn't all that big of a shock, and I can't really disagree with the decision too much because Alabama, it, it was really splitting hairs. So you wrote in your column, you don't really disagree with it either, but you do point out kind of the contradictions in the mixed language the committee uh the committee used when they were describing their decision making so could you get into maybe you know the problems you have with with the way they described it for those who haven't read that that piece on cbs sports well it it was just 
strange because after the games had finished on Saturday night, you know, before they announced it on Sunday, I'm trying to figure out, okay, so who's the fourth team going to be? Because we know who the first three were because they'd won all their games and they'd been in the top four all week. So if it came, was it going to be Ohio State and Alabama? And based off of what Kirby Hocutt, the selection committee chairman, had said the week before when they put out the latest rankings, you know, everybody knew this situation was possible. He was asked. If it comes down to Alabama and Ohio State, you know, what's the situation going to be? And Alabama at the time was ranked number five. Ohio State was ranked number eight. And he said that there's really, he said it's an insignificant difference between five and eight. He, he implied that they were really close to one another, and you know, which made you believe that if Ohio State beats Wisconsin in the wins of the Big Ten, it's probably going to get the spot simply because one of the guidelines that the committee uses when it says, you know, when, when there's not a marked difference between the two teams that they're choosing from, the quote-unquote tiebreakers essentially would be, you know, conference titles, strength of, strength of schedule, all that kind of stuff. So my thought was, well, Ohio State has won the Big Ten, and it has better wins than Alabama does. So I think it's going to, you know, it's going to end up being Ohio State, even though I, I'd always been of the opinion, if you lose by 31 points to Iowa this year on the road, you probably shouldn't be considered for a playoff spot. If you lose by 31 points to anybody, you probably shouldn't be considered one of the four best teams in the country. So I thought they were going to go with Ohio State over Alabama based on that. But then, of course, the, the rankings come out, and Alabama's at number four. And when Kirby Hocutt's asked about it, them putting in Alabama at number four, he says Alabama was the clear number four. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, what changed in the last five days? Was it Ohio State beating Wisconsin that convinced you Alabama was better? Or was it Auburn, the team that beat Alabama, losing to Georgia in the SEC title game that convinced you Alabama was better? It's just, it, it was a nice reminder that the rankings don't mean anything. They're just a television show. They put them out every week so they could fill out an hour or a half an hour on ESPN and drive discussion for that week going forward. But they don't mean anything. And no matter what Kirby Hocutt or whoever's election to the chair is going forward, nothing they say matters. They come up with the rankings. And then they come up with talking points just to keep you from asking follow-up questions. That's all it is. That's all it's ever going to be. It's just it's really annoying that it exists, and you know why it exists. And it's just none of it matters. It's I feel like if you're a fan, like for me, I work in this industry. I'm in the media. I'm, I have a column every week that's a reaction to the rankings where I'm supposed to share my opinions and where the team's ranked. I have to pay attention. If you're just a fan. Don't pay any attention to the rankings until that very last week because none of them mean anything. Yeah, it's so hard, I think, for fans, you know, to turn away from those rankings. I would, like, if I was giving the advice, I would say don't pay attention to what Kirby Hocutt is saying because I think, you know, it's a product of him having to come on every week and explain, you know, a process that, that really doesn't make a whole lot of sense and try and do it in a tidy fashion. That It's, it's just impossible. And the, you know, the term that Reese Davis and – and the show kind of picked up on and was using as the uh, season went along was the unequivocally better term. And they used it, and he asked him straight, he asked Kirby Hooker straight up uh, the last this past weekend. So Alabama was unequivocally better than Ohio State. And Hooker said yes. And that's what got me because, like you said, the week before, you know, those two teams were supposedly so close that, that, you know, there should have been a determining factor. And then all of a sudden, Alabama was unequivocally better. So. Um, you know, yeah, it's interesting. Like you said, I agree that it doesn't really matter and, and we shouldn't put stock into what they say. So my question to you is now following up on that, like, is this the best we can do as far as a way of determining, you know, who belongs in, in a playoff? Is a committee the best way we can do, best thing we can do? Because, you know, before it was the BCS and the computers and everyone complained about the lack of the human element. And now people are complaining about the inconsistency of these explanation so is there you know is there any better alternative out there or are we just never going to be happy no matter what product and what way of determining these playoffs is put in front of us i think that in a sport where only one team's going to be the champion and there are 130 teams and you can only play once a week there's never going to be a system that makes everybody happy because there is no perfect way to solve it you know it's it's an unfortunate byproduct but it's also one of the things that has made the sport you know, so popular in a lot of ways. So it's 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 a strange balance that that plays along here. And I don't personally, I'm always leaning towards. I like the four team playoff, and I would just like to see more concrete guidelines for what it takes to 
qualify for the playoff rather than just the nebulous best team. Because best team means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And like you said, when there's 13 people on that selection committee, all 13 of them might have a different idea of what the best team is or what the best team means or is supposed to look like. So some might think it's Ohio State, some might think it's Alabama, some might think it's Clemson or Georgia or Oklahoma or whoever, and they'd have different meanings behind it and different factors that they look at. So I would like to see more concrete guidelines, whether it's mandating that you have to win your conference or that you can only have, you know, you can't have more than two losses or you can't have, you know, you can't even have two losses whatever they want to go with. I just feel like I'd be, I think it would, people would be happier if there were more guidelines just because they would know what to expect. But I don't think we're ever going to see that because as we went over in the previous, when we were talking about, you know, the, the rankings that they released all season long, this is a, it's a television show. It's meant to drive discussion. So if you gave guidelines, it would take a lot of the drama out of it. And it wouldn't give, they wouldn't have to put the rankings out every week because you would know which teams have been eliminated. So it would be like, well, they're ranked 16th, but it doesn't matter because they have no shot. So they're never going to do that. They're going to keep it as nebulous as possible because that's what drives the interest. In, you know, the anger, it's a lot like, you know, if, if there's a radio host or a guy like a Skip Bayless type of person on television, who, you know, yelling their opinions that you disagree with, you're more inclined to watch the show because it makes you angry. <laughs> and you want to see what kind of dumb thing that they say next. And that's exactly the same formula that this playoff follows. It gets everybody riled up, and it gets everybody, you know, huffing and puffing and getting mad at this person or that team or this conference or whatever, and it just keeps everybody interested, whereas the sport is no longer a regional thing where you only care about your team and, you, you know, your rivals, and you just want to beat them. Now you care about your team, your rivals, your conference, and the other conferences because you're all competing with one another. Yeah, it's a good point. You mentioned, you know, it holds everyone's interest, you know, for a couple of months. But now that there's only four teams from a certain region in the college football playoff, and I, I kind of poked fun at this as soon as the rankings came out and made a little, like, goofy map on Twitter and circled the area of the United States that will be paying attention to the college football playoff, and it was, you know, those four states, Georgia, South Carolina, Alabama, Oklahoma. And um, But, like, on a serious note, does this does it hurt the sport at all when it's just confined to, you know, that part of the country and, and there's huge swaths of the country that are being left out of the college football playoff. Cause I know just as a casual, you know, college football fan, like I was before I started working here, you know, I wouldn't have paid attention at all to the college football playoff if a, if it, cause I don't identify with any of those teams in that part of the country. So is there anything to that? Or do you think, you know, it doesn't matter at all, especially to the people in charge, the higher ups, the powers that be. I don't, I don't think, I mean, I think it would be a concern if it's the case every year. I think, you know, if if the Big Ten's getting left out and the Pac-12 is getting left out every year, then it becomes a concern because then fans from the Big Ten schools or the Pac-12 schools have no reason to pay attention. I don't think if it's just happening this one year, it's really that big of a deal. But that said, you know, if you, if you look at, like, the TV ratings that will release on the Monday or whatever after Saturday, the highest ratings for every city that watches these games, no matter who they are, are generally in that region. And that's where, if you look at recruiting rankings, where the best players are coming from are generally in that region. So yep. I don't think it's a coincidence that the best teams are in the religion because they have the best players and they have the best interest. I mean, I don't care what game it is. Birmingham, Alabama is going to be the city with more people watching it as far as, you know, the ratings than any other city in the country. And it's that way every single week. It's strange. Birmingham is like the college football viewing championship, whatever of the world. The so Mecca. I, yeah, I don't think it's a problem. I think if it becomes a consistent thing every year, then maybe they want to start considering whether we, you know, you have, that's maybe what would drive them to having conference champions eligible because that way you're guaranteeing at least one of the big 10 or pac 12 teams gets in every season but i don't think right now no i think this is just this year the four best teams happen to be from the same area of the country all right so i guess um i I tend to agree with you that i think this is more of a one-off than anything i think there were some unique factors that happened i think penn state honestly could be one of the best four teams in the country but they just had a couple of weeks sneak up on them and they lost by Lost two games by a combined four points. Um, yeah, you know, that, and the rain the, delay in East Lansing may have destroyed Penn State. Exactly, and I just think they were this team that just gets you know since they were out of the discussion so early, everyone kind of forgotten about them. Like, oh yeah, this team is crazy talented as well. But you know, if we're gonna if we're gonna analyze this and 
look at it, you know, as more of a one-off than maybe it really is. How does the Big Ten avoid this happening again? And, and do they need to react at all to, to a year like this? Like, one point people will bring up is the out-of-conference scheduling. Um, since there's since there's nine games being played in conference in the Big Ten, and a team like Ohio State schedules in Oklahoma and they take that L, you know, that hurt them down the road. So do you think that the Big Ten should schedule softer in the non-conference? Is that a knee-jerk reaction, or do you think uh, this is just kind of, a, like you said, a one-off year where the Big Ten gets left out and that's just the way it is? You know, I don't, I don't think, I think it's kind of just the way it worked this year, because if you think about it, you know, if you look at it one way, you could say, yeah, the fact that Ohio State scheduled Oklahoma this year and lost Oklahoma kind of knocked him out, although I still think that 31 point loss to Iowa is the bigger drag than anything, right. but if you, if you just go back to last year, had Ohio State not played Oklahoma and beaten them, does Oklahoma or does Ohio State get that playoff spot last year? If, if that game hadn't happened, not only would Penn State have been left out of the playoff, but maybe Ohio State would have been left out as well, and it would have been you know Washington and Oklahoma and Clemson and Alabama. So maybe the Big Ten gets left out two years in a row if they're not scheduling those tougher out-of-conference games. I think really it just comes down to I would keep scheduling those games, especially if you're a good enough team to win them, because the punishment for them really isn't that big if you lose it early in the season. You could still recover from that as long as you play well in your conference and you win your conference. That loss early in the year is not going to hurt you. It's going to help you far more than it's hurt you. The reward is much higher than the risk in my mind. And I think that's the way that the committee looks at it too because they have just generally – over the years, the one thing that has been consistent about what they do is they value your wins more than they care about your losses. And as long as you only have one loss or fewer, if you've got two losses or more, that can knock you out no matter who you beat, as we saw this year with Ohio State. But if you only lose one game and you win your conference, you're going to make the Final Four at that point, barring something crazy or dramatic happening. So I don't think scheduling has as much to do with it. I think that if you're Ohio State, if you're Michigan, if you're Penn State, if you're a team that has legitimate, you know, playoff hopes, you're not just, you know, a mid-tier Power 5 team or below, but if you're a team that actually could, you could consider one of the quote-unquote blue bloods that has national title hopes, I would keep scheduling those games. I mean, Alabama schedules them every year, and it hasn't hurt Alabama because Alabama not only schedules them, but they win them as well. So I, I think it's probably better for your program in the long haul. It's kind of like what Michigan State does in basketball where Tom Izzo schedules all those tough games early in the year just to get his team's feet wet and get ready. Even though their record or maybe the ranking for the first couple of months of the season doesn't look good, by the time conference play rolls around and then you get to the tournament time, that team's battle-tested and ready for anything. So I think there's kind of a similar kind of theory that could work with football that way too. Yeah, see, I tend to agree. I mean, that's kind of the discussion that's popped up around this office, at least, is like, you know, what's the incentive for scheduling those early season games? Well, one, as a casual observer and as someone who covers the sport, you know, I, I we obviously like to see those matchups, and I think it's it's good for the game. And then there's the benefits of, of being battle-tested, like you said. But I guess when you flip it around, should the SEC have to, and, and other conferences all have to play the same amount of in-conference games like, should everyone have to play nine conference games like the Big Ten does? You know, when you have, I mean, Mercer's been the buzzword for the last couple of weeks because Alabama played Mercer and got it basically a bye week and an extra win. And um, while, while, you know, Big Ten teams are knocking each other out. So do you think that could be a standard? Like you said, you want the committee to have to set these standards. Do you think that should be a requirement that the in-conference games are level across the board? Ideally, yes. I, I, I've written that in the past, too. It's I, ideally, with the Power Five, I mean, they are the ones who created the playoff. They're the ones who control the playoff. And it would be nice if they had a scheduling agreement where every conference plays nine games. Or if they go every conference plays eight games, fine. Although I think that with television money and the, the conference networks that are now you know all existing everywhere, I think nine games is ideal because that provides better content. But I think that if the Big Ten is going to get, if, if you can't get the SEC or the ACC to change that around and they're going to keep playing their FCS games, I still think that the Big Ten and the Big 12 and the Pac-12 can follow their lead. And instead of compiling, you know, stocking all these huge games in late October and November, follow the SEC's lead. That game that, you know, Ohio State played against UNLV earlier this year, put that in November, the week before right. the Michigan game. 
because it's you might not like you might hate the fact that Alabama is playing Mercer or Clemson's playing the Citadel late in the season because you know you were so used to seeing those games in September and then when it comes to these conference games that matter but they're the right way to do it because with the way the scheduling works if you're only given one official bye week a season why not schedule that bye week earlier in the year before your conference play starts give yourself you know give your team a week to get healthy to rest and prepare for your first conference game and then you schedule that cupcake game in November because it's essentially another week allowing your team to rest because whether you're playing Mercer or plenty of other FBS teams, not just FCS teams that are of the same quality as Mercer, if not worse. Because, you know, I, I know that the common, the, the easy reaction to seeing an FCS opponent is to think that that team's horrible. And generally, they're not, they're nowhere near on the level of the teams that they're playing. But they're not as far, they're not so much worse than a lot of the FBS teams that you would play. You win LV is not that much better than Mercer. You know, so it's like right. people will say, if, if you look at or Ohio State playing Army, Army, hey, I'm not trying to knock it, but they're still a service academy. Those aren't scholarship, you know, regular football players out there. Those are actual Army cadets who are going on to serve in the military afterwards. They're not football players for the most part. So I don't see as big of a difference between scheduling those games. I think that the Big Ten and the Big 12 and the Pac-12 should follow suit in scheduling them later in the year, particularly the Big 12, where they have that round-robin schedule. And the Big 12 intentionally schedules all their biggest games or what they expect to be the most important games late in the season, where Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, TCU, and Texas are all playing each other like in a round-robin through November. I think that's a very dangerous and silly way to go about it because even if your team survives, you get the situation like we saw this year where Oklahoma and TCU are playing twice within a matter of weeks. And I don't think that's good for anybody involved because had TCU pulled that off, obviously the Big 12 is left out of the playoff right now too. So I think that if they're going to have it, just be smarter about it and move them, in, move them into the November and have more conference games earlier in the season. Yeah, it's a good point. And, and I believe that the clump together schedule is what ultimately cost Penn State, like I said earlier, a, a shot at the college football playoff because they had to go Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State, Back to back to back, and you know after you lose by one at Ohio State, and then have to go to a waterlogged East Lansing and, and try and reset. You know, it, it. I think it probably screwed up what could have been a dream season for them. Um, moving on, actually, before we move on past all the CFP talk, even though we are the redheaded stepchild here, and the Big Ten's left out. Tom, I want to hear who's your prediction? Who you got uh, winning the national title this year coming out of those four? I honestly think Alabama's going to end up winning the whole thing. I, I look at the matchups in the first round, and Alabama's got, I think having this month off for Alabama is fantastic because it's going to allow them to get healthy on defense. It's just been a problem for them the last few weeks. We saw them struggle against Mississippi State, and we saw them obviously struggle against Auburn. I think it was just a direct result of a lot of the injuries they were dealing with on defense and not having the depth that those two that allows them to rotate guys in and out and keep them fresh and wear you down over a 60-minute span. So I think the month off is a very beneficial to Alabama, and I feel like even though Clemson's a very good team still, it's not the same team we saw last year with a national title, and I think a big reason for that is Sean Watson's gone, and Watson has been the, the great equalizer in that game the last two years. He's been the guy that kept Clemson in the game both times and then pulled out that win last year. So as good as Kelly Bryant's been, he's not Deshaun Watson in my mind. So I see Alabama winning that game. And as far as Oklahoma and Georgia are concerned, I like Alabama better than both of them, either if, if they do, which, no matter who wins that game gets to the final. So I look the ways I look at it, I see Alabama winning this thing more often than not. Yeah, that's why I don't really have a real gripe with Alabama and over Ohio State because you look at it, and Alabama has a legit shot to win it all. And, and you know, you can, it's not like they're just a throw-in and, and they were just better than you know that it, that it was just we want that Alabama brand name. It's like no, they were yeah. they're legit one of the top four teams, and they can probably win it all the whole thing. So I don't have a problem with that, and you know, I can't hate on your pick there either. Um, we'll move on now to the Big Ten, and, and you know, still some big time bowls, New Year's Six bowls that the Big Ten will be partaking in the next month or so. So give me a couple of Big Ten Bowls you're most intrigued to watch. Um, you know, we got the Cotton Fiesta Orange Bowl, all featuring Big Ten teams. Give me a couple you're looking out for. Well, I, I think obviously the Cotton Bowl is the most enticing one simply because it's it's your Rose Bowl. It's just taking place in Dallas. It's, it's your Big Ten champion Ohio State versus your Pac-12 champion USC. So right. I think that's just a great game on its own, and I think that'll be fun to watch no matter what. 
the Fiesta Bowl interests me. I don't. It's strange because we we talked about both Penn State and Washington. These are two teams that I feel like they've been kind of forgotten about in recent weeks because we were talking about they were both eliminated from the playoff conversation. So everybody just kind of moved on. But they're still two really good teams, and they're two teams. It's, it, it's like a, it's, it reminds me of the situation last year when Penn State went to the Rose Bowl and played USC and the game was epic. I can see that same kind of thing happening this year in the Fiesta Bowl. Wisconsin-Miami is interesting just because I can't think of two more polar opposites as far as culture is concerned. <laughs> as far as what the teams – the teams themselves are similar in what they try to do where they're, they they want to run the ball and use their defense to, you know, beat – but just the way they go about it, two completely different you, ways. So you mean Miami team, didn't steal, steal a turnover chain idea from Wisconsin? Is that what you're telling me? No, but Wisconsin needs like a turnover cheese match or, or something that they need to create so they can hang that around their next during the game. And then, then outside of those two or six games, uh, I think that the Holiday Bowl is interesting just because the contrasting styles between Michigan State and Washington State, that those tend to lead to some fun games. And then the other game I'm really looking forward to is the Foster Farms Bowl between Purdue and Arizona simply because I love Jeff Brom and Arizona has Khalil Tate, who's my favorite player to watch in the country this year. So I'm just looking forward to that, the Purdue offense going up against Khalil Tate and seeing what kind of fireworks can happen in that game. All right, next question doesn't have to be about the Big Ten, but do you have any other under-the-radar bowls that are appealing to you or attractive to you in any way that we haven't talked about yet? I like the Dollar General Bowl. That's it's a rematch of last year's Camellia Bowl between Appalachian State and Toledo. Just you know, two of the group of five's better teams going in a game together that generally leads to fun. It's not the highest quality of football, but the games themselves tend to be entertaining. Other than that, uh, what was the one? What were we thinking of? Oh, the Texas Bowl between Texas and Missouri could be fun. Although now that Josh Heupel's left and gone to UCF. Maybe that won't be as entertaining as I was hoping for. And then what's strange is the Hawaii Bowl is a game that's on Christmas Eve every year, so I never get to watch it because I'm always with family and you know doing all that kind of stuff. But usually I don't care because it's always between two teams that don't matter. This year's matchup of Fresno State and Houston actually is pretty interesting to me, so I'll probably end up DVRing that and watching it on Christmas morning. See, I'm glad you brought up the Dollar General Bowl because I was gonna. It kind of feeds into my next question. I was gonna ask you about the best bowl names and you know there's always fun bowl names but dollar general bowl is one that was gonna be my pick and i looked at the gifts for that bowl like you know what the the giveaways are for the players interestingly enough you can't find any of that any of that stuff at dollar general there's like an amazon <laughs> echo in there you get some maui gym sunglasses and and a few other things that, you, that are not on the shelves at dollar general so i think that should be a rule that the gifts that the players receive have to come from that brand that's sponsoring the bowl I, I think that would be interesting, although I think it would be bad for the players. <laughs> <laughs> the Dollar General Bowl is for sure. Yeah, um, I don't think, although I think it would be great for the Bad Boy Mowers Gasparilla Bowl. There's a good name. Are there any other any other good bowl names that I'm not even thinking about that I'll see on the scroll and picker and be like, what, since what, I didn't even know that company existed? Uh, I mean, no, I, I don't think you get any better than the Bad Boy Mowers Gasparilla Bowl. I think that's probably the best name since the Poulon Weed Eater Bowl. I mean, we can throw it way back. The, uh, the MicronPC.com Bowl, That's that was one that the, uh, the Illini played in, I think, like 2001 or so, 2000, something like that. Who would ever that? That game has changed its name about a thousand times. It was the Insight.com Bowl, the Micron PC Bowl, the Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl. I think this year it's just the Arizona Bowl. I don't, it's that's, I think of all the bowl games, that one has more names per game played than any other bowl in history. <laughs> the Arizona Bowl just doesn't have the same uh, pizzazz to it that the no. fluctuating internet it, names have. But it's a little boring. It's like you know, I don't, I don't know that I want to watch it anymore. When it was yeah. Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl, hey, maybe something crazy will happen. Sign I'll me up. I'll watch this game. Now it's kind of like, eh. someone's going to hit the button in the Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl. Yeah. All right. Um, before we let you go, Tom, a couple more topics I just want to uh, touch on. And one that we have to get to is the ongoing coaching carousel that's been spinning wildly this last week plus. And we'll start with probably the most, uh, you know, I don't want to say boring because it's not boring for Nebraska fans. They're, they're fired up. But the, you know, simple way it got done, the, Nebraska identified their guy, Scott, and hired him. And they avoided the headache of 
what a lot of other schools are going through right now and have gone through in the last couple of weeks. So I want to get your thoughts on Scott Frost, the hire in general, and how he'll fit at Nebraska. How do you evaluate that hire in Lincoln? I think it's a great, I think it was the obvious move and it's also the great move. And sometimes those two things just go together. And I also think that the way they went about it was great and that they were able to keep it as quiet as possible until, you know, right after it, unfortunately for everybody, the news really started breaking for real during the end of that AAC championship game. But I think it was really important for Nebraska to move early because I think that they knew if Jimbo Fisher left Florida State for Texas A&M, which had been becoming you know, more and more real over the last few weeks of a possibility, Willie Taggart did make the most sense for Florida State, which meant that that Oregon job could come open. And while Frost was able you know, to ignore Florida to go to Nebraska, had the Oregon job come open, I think Frost might have considered that ahead of Nebraska simply because he's also familiar there and there's already the players in place for his offense, so it wouldn't be much of a difficult transition. But I think that overall... I think it's great for Nebraska, and I think it's great for the Big Ten. He's obviously one of the biggest names that were available this year. We saw what he did at UCF. He took over that team, went 0-12 the year before he got there. He immediately improves it to 6-6 and his first season, and then they go you know, 12-0 and this year in his second season. So it's clear the man knows what he's doing, and that offense works. And I think going into Nebraska, there's probably going to be – it's going to be a bumpy start simply because – Nebraska had already transitioned from Bo Pelini's teams and more of a spread offense to Mike Riley running that pro style. And now they've got to go back from the pro style to more of a speed-based spread. So the personnel is probably not going to be a perfect fit. So I wouldn't expect next year to have a great season for Nebraska. But I think going forward in the future, once Frost gets the players in there that he wants, I think Nebraska is going to be a really good team and a Big Ten title contender, particularly in the West. And I feel like in general, the Big Ten is much better off if Nebraska is good because that gives them another solid team, another team that's respected nationally, and another team that just improves the conference's reputation as a whole. And maybe, you know, if Nebraska was good this year, if it had been a typical Nebraska team winning eight, nine, ten games, not not as many people are questioning Wisconsin's resume have if Wisconsin had beat it during the regular season because you'd look at that Nebraska game and say, oh, okay, well, that's, that's a good win. That's a resume win. That Northwestern's a resume win. And then when you add Michigan to it, all of a sudden Wisconsin gets a little more respect. So I think it's just good for the Big Ten in general that Nebraska's good because it, it, it improves the way the conference looks nationally. Yeah, you need that balance in the West if no one else to step up. And one thing that, that sounds simple but I, I think is a big deal within that Scott Frost hire is that I think Nebraska fans are just sick of being embarrassed over the last you know several years, like, like the end of the Pelini era, and now, with, under Mike Riley, there's just one embarrassment after the other as far as, you know, final scores. And, and it's a proud program that, you know, they, they hearken back to those days. But it's a good thing, obviously, that they were not swept up in all this confusion and, and, and left holding the bag. Because I think that those fans are just kind of beleaguered as far as, like, the embarrassments have gone. And then now, look at it. I mean, they hire Scott Frost and they go out and beat Minnesota in basketball last night. So things are already turning. Frost has saved Tim Tim uh, Tim Miles' job as well. <laughs> there, there you go. Um, all right. So before we move on past uh, coaching talk, I got to get your thoughts on the two. I think the two biggest storylines that have stood out, mostly for their absurdity. The first is the Herm Edwards hire at Arizona State. Like, what, what's even going on there? Because because you know we see these press conferences and. He doesn't know what the logo, which way the logo faces. He doesn't know the mascot. <laughs> and the, 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 we have a PR mumbo jumbo press release about how he's the CEO and general. It's just, it's, it's weird. What's going on? I don't know. It's, I mean, here's the synopsis is that Arizona State paid Todd Graham $12 million to go away. They're keeping the rest of his staff. They just wanted Todd Graham to go away. Gave him $12 million to it. And then the AD... Hired a former client of his because Ray Anderson used to be an agent, and one of his his clients was Herm Edwards, who has not coached at any level in nine years, let alone college. It's been about it's been nearly thirty years since Herm Edwards has been on a college sideline. And last time he did coach in the NFL, he won like forty two percent of his games. <laughs> I I I don't know. It's it's a weird thing, and it might prove to be genius. The, the press release was the most confusing thing of all because it sounded like a tech company startup pyramid scheme type deal where you don't know what they're saying. They're just throwing buzzwords at you. to make So much jargon. Guys, yeah, these guys are smart. But 
Maybe maybe it works. Maybe Arizona State suddenly becomes a power in the Pac-12 thanks to Herm Edwards' leadership and you know funny speeches and jokes. But it just seems like a car wreck waiting to happen. That it's it's like with that press conference. And, I mean, the press conference started with Ray Anderson saying that people were living at the higher, thinking it was you know it was that it was a bad hire and that it was a joke. And then he turns the press conference over. He says, here's, here's my new coach's agent to introduce. <laughs> it's like, wait, I've never seen an agent introduce his coach at a press conference before, but I guess they wanted the hype man to get everybody going for, for Herm on there. But I honestly, the way, when you listen to Herm talk, he doesn't need a hype man. He get, you know, I was watching that press conference and as ridiculous as it was, I was still ready to go play football for him. He just just has that about him where it's like, okay, that the magnetism behind Herm, I get whether or not he's going to be able to, you know, turn that into football wins. We'll see, but I I can understand how he's going to get players fired up or at least how he'll succeed in the living room when he's recruiting with talking to parents. But just overall, I don't have high hopes for it. And then with, with Tennessee's, I, I don't even know anymore. It's, it's like a, episode of Game of Thrones where essentially Phil Fulmer was little fingering behind the scenes to take over the athletic department and it actually worked and it's it's, you have to give Curry some of the blame because I have no idea why Greg Schiano was his first choice I mean I it doesn't make sense to me it I can understand why the fans revolted a just because Greg Schiano was like Butch Jones on steroids as far as the approach and the personality and everything goes. And typically when you're getting rid of a coach, you don't want to replace him with somebody who's just a bigger version of him. And then B, with the Penn State ties, whatever the truth is or the reality is, perception matters so much. So if you're a fan base and you see those headlines where even there's even a question of it, I can understand why a fan base would be against it. It's just the way everything has been handled there is a complete tire fire. And I think a lot of people are to blame. And we're looking at a situation where I think Tennessee is probably going to end up with like a year long interim coach kind of situation where not entirely different from what we saw with Arkansas after the Bobby Petrino incident with the motorcycle accident. And they brought on John L Smith for a year just to get him through so they could find another coach. I would not be shocked at all if Tennessee ends up going a similar type of type of route, just, finding a guy that could get them through a year while they conduct a coaching search and quote unquote, let the heat die down. So maybe the job's not as toxic this time next year. So you do fall in that sympathetic camp then for the, for the fans. Cause I know some people are like, well, they brought this on themselves, but you feel you can put yourself in those uh, fans shoes, huh? I mean, they did bring it on themselves a little bit, but I, like I said, I think, you know, the fact that John Curry did not float the idea out there first was a mistake on his part because had he just leaked out, hey, you know, Greg Schiano is the leading candidate for the job, then you see the reaction then, then you, okay, okay, I'll do this. Don't wait until he pretty much signed that, you know, the memorandum of agreement or whatever the hell they call it. <laughs> when you've got people signing contracts, just get right. it out and see what the reaction is first. And I think the reaction was overblown on Tennessee's part, on the fans' part, but I also understand where it comes from. And then just one of the stranger things to me was seeing how a lot of national media members were pretty much putting on a cape and writing for Greg Schiano. But I, I think I understand why they were doing that. It has nothing to do with Greg Schiano. All right. The last thing I'll say about the coaching uh, fiascos that are going on is, you know, I, I wasn't paying attention to Arizona State football before, and now I am, and I'm, I will be following them. So I guess from a PR standpoint, the hire worked. It's worked. Yeah. I've All right. Got- I care more about Arizona State football right now than I ever have. There you go. All right. Before we let you go, Tom, um, you know, we talked a lot of a lot of college football, but you know, I know I know you're an Illini hoops guy as well. So we uh, got to get into a little college basketball talk before I let you go here. Just give me some quick thoughts, a quick synopsis on what you've seen so far through nine games. We're recording this before the Wednesday night game against Austin P, which. You know, God help them if it was that one. God, but, I hope they win that one. Yeah, so you can't have the Let's Go P crowd uh, fired if, up. But If they lose that game, call me again tomorrow or after the game, and we'll do a whole new segment where I just yell <laughs> for 10 minutes. Sounds good. So give me your thoughts on the nine-game start they've had so far. You know, they've had some excruciating losses and at the same time have probably got most of the rational ones feeling better about the program than they have in years. So give me your quick synopsis on Illinois Bucket so far. Uh, it's a really young team that has no idea how to win big games. 
and I think that's been evident in both the Northwestern game and in the Maryland game where there's a lot there's a lack of experience in those moments where you see them making stupid mistakes that you typically see from younger players and especially in such a big stage but even with that being the case I'm confident or at least optimistic than I more optimistic than I have been in recent years simply because I feel like they're in these games. Last year, you know, if they they were down by 19 at halftime to Maryland earlier this week. Last year, if that team is down by 19 to Maryland, second half, there's no point in watching because you knew there was no chance. And that happened. Were... We saw it. Yeah. They were down like 20 to Maryland, and then they lost by 20 to Maryland. So Yeah, but this year, there's more fight to this team. And I think that as the season goes on, you know, I think what we've seen is just a skeleton with what Brandon likes to do on offense and defense. It's It's very simple, but it's very complex and hard to learn. And I think that we've seen such a limited sample of what Brad Underwood wants to do on offense and what he wants to do on defense because he's implementing things slowly just to make sure everybody gets the hang of it before. So I feel like as this season goes along and they get more time practicing and they're able to implement more of the game plan, we're going to see this team improve, kind of like what we saw with Brad Underwood's team at Oklahoma State last year where the team got off to a really rough start and then ended up making the tournament. I don't think Illinois is going to make the tournament this year, but I think that towards the end of conference season, they're going to be a bigger pain in the butt than they are right now. Have you ever gone through as much fan like turbulence as, as you have before December 10th as you have this season? Because we're, you know, you look, you look at what's gone on already and you're like, holy crap, we're only three weeks into the season or whatever it is. Yeah, no, it's, it was so strange to have conference games in December, early December, late November. It kind of threw everything out of whack because I'm so used to the, like a Northwestern game or a Maryland game games that were like, okay, now it's time because with, with me working with college football, I typically don't really have a chance to pay super close attention until the January anyway, which is when Big Ten season finally gets rolling. So for me to turn on the TV and be like, oh, oh wow, we're playing Northwestern, what, you know, looking at my watch, like, where am I? What time is it? So it's, it's kind of throwing me for a loop. And now after you play those games, they're playing Austin P. So <laughs> it's like, how am I supposed to go from a Maryland game to Austin P? Exactly. It's bizarre. I've enjoyed it. But, yeah, that'll be a dose of reality following – watching all these Big Ten games now against Southeast Directional State or whatever. All right, uh, you mentioned it a little bit, but I was going to ask, like, once football season's over, you know, you follow college hoops, what else do you do with yourself until, you know, next August, September? I, I try to do as much of nothing as possible. That's good philosophy. <laughs> yeah, I try to do as little as possible. You know, I, no, I, uh, I do a lot of reading and catching up on television shows that I don't pay attention to for four months out of the year. It's also spending time with the girlfriend because she really doesn't get to see me from the beginning of September until January. She sees very little of me because I'm usually really busy with everything going on for work. So spend time with family, spend time with loved ones, read and watch TV. All right. That was, that was a much more boring answer than I uh, had hoped, but it's okay. Last question. You can redeem yourself here. Uh, Give me your favorite in sports part of the holiday season. So, you know, you can't say bowl games, can't say football. You know, I'm thinking along the the eggnog or the, the fun Christmas sweater line of, uh, line of things here. What's your ba- favorite part of the holidays? Getting gifts. <laughs> I like receiving presents and opening them and be like, ah, oh, I like this, I shall use this. I'm very selfish that way. I enjoy anything- getting gifts more than, more than I enjoy giving them. Got anything on your on your Christmas list uh, this year? Not that I'm going to send you anything, but anything no, unique? Uh, no, honestly, you know, I've been getting questions from both my sister and my girlfriend, like, "What do you want for Christmas?" And I really, I have no idea. It's like now that things are slowing down, I'll finally be able to look into things, but for, I, I haven't given it any thought whatsoever yet. All right, you're a simple man, Tom, but uh, I appreciate you coming on today. That's all I got for you. Um, a lot of good discussion. Wait me up when it's next season because I won't be I won't be watching the college football playoff at all. No, I'm just kidding. I'll be Aww. I'll be tuning in. I'll be tuning in. Don't worry. I'll probably be watching it too. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on and making sense of all the madness, and uh, I'll have to get you back on again soon. Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Tom. All right. Thanks again to Tom for joining me. Yeah, a lot of good college football discussion with a little bit of college basketball thrown at the end just a pinch because I know Tom's a big follower of Illini basketball and having covered them the last four years I believe you know I'm a, I'm a big follower of that team as well so I had to get Tom's thoughts and now we'll expand into the whole conference with BTN researcher Harold Shelton talk 
you know, a little over 10 minutes about early season Big Ten basketball, what it all means, and what the rest of the season might hold as we get into some of these holiday games and get back to non-conference play for a few weeks before Big Ten basketball gets going in full swing. So we'll get to Harold's discussion in just a moment. First, one more reminder that we have that coupon code available on the btn.com online store. The coupon code is TAKE10. That's T-A-K-E, the number one and zero, all caps. You can use that code to take 10% off your order at the online store. If you're on your desktop, the store is at the t- on the tabs at the top of the screen. If you're on your mobile phone, scroll all the way down to the bottom, bring up the tabs page, and the shop button is found down there at the bottom. So, like I said, all kinds of good merchandise, apparel, plenty of holiday gifts. And if you are a Ohio State fan, you can get your Big Ten Championship apparel at the online store as well. So it's a lot of must-have stuff, especially if you're shopping for gifts for yourself or, you know, friends or family, everyone who doesn't love more school swag. So get on there and get it done. T-A-K-E-1-0. All right. Now we'll bring in Harold Shelton for our weekly stat head segment. This week it is with a focus on college basketball, especially on Big Ten hoops, and he breaks it down for you right now. All right, I'm very pleased to be joined once again by our in-house researcher, Harold Shelton. Harold, uh, we're fresh off the Big Ten Championship game. Uh, had a good time down in Indy, but unfortunately the result there and what we saw the next day with the college football playoff meant that there's not a whole lot of football uh, of consequence as far as the college football playoff to talk about right now. So I wanted to bring you in and talk a little hoops before we get into the, the meat of bowl season here. And with the first week of Big Ten hoops wrapping up and uh, we've seen a lot of exciting conference matchups and uh you know just some some good action so far i want to bring you in and get your thoughts so first of all welcome in how you doing good good uh can kind of take a breather for a little bit you know now that first week of conference plays done and football's done till bowl season i got a chance to kind of collect my bearings a little bit yeah yeah that's that's always good i know it's, it's been a been a hectic season and and uh you know now that we look up and, you know, we're in Indy. It's kind of weird because you look up and you see Big Ten basketball already getting underway. It's kind of a, a surreal thing. But, um, you know, we, we had two weeks in the – or one week in the book, two games for each team. And before we talk about Big Ten basketball uh, in conference, I want to talk about how the conference performed against uh, out-of-conference competition and some of the marquee matchups. And, you know, there's not really a good way to – can't really sugarcoat it. Um, the Big Ten hasn't looked all that great outside of conference so far. So I wanted to get your thoughts on what do you think the root of the problem is? You know, they got beat down by the ACC in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. I think it was 12-2. to two. Um, They tied with the Big East and the Gavit games, which, you know, Big East sends their best five, and they're obviously not, a, not as deep of a conference as the Big Ten, but they still tied the Big Ten, which, you know, traditionally you think the Big Ten would have stronger teams at the top. So what do you think is behind, you know, the Big Ten and the lack of marquee, wins in you know Thanksgiving tournaments and the conference challenges that we've seen? Uh, well, I think a lot of people kind of thought that the Big Ten would be a little down this year. I mean, people thought Michigan State, you know, uh, was a national championship contender. People thought Minnesota and Purdue would be really good. Uh, people thought Northwestern, you know, would kind of build on the success they had from last year. And, you know, so far they've been one of the biggest disappointments in the conference. And so – like when you looked in the preseason AP poll, we only had those four teams. And, you know, Michigan State was the only one in the top 10. Everybody else was kind of in the 15, 20, 21 range. So, you know, they're kind of, you know, playing out as expected, unfortunately, for the league. Um, it's unf- like We've had some, some tough losses, too. Like the ACC Big Ten, there were some bad matchups. Like North Carolina at home is supposed to beat Michigan at this point. Right. Like, Duke is supposed to be a down Indiana team at this point. Sure. So, you know, you've had some matchups like that. It, it, it hurt to have Minnesota lose a marquee game to Miami. Mm-hmm. Like, those are the ones that you got to win when you get them at home. Like, Purdue at least took care of their business. Michigan State took care of theirs. But, you know, when you have teams that are, are pretty even, those are the ones that hurt you the most. Like, you, you thought Northwestern should have won at Georgia Tech, and they didn't. And you had – we didn't pull off any upsets. It, it's just not – it was not a good non-conference. And I believe 
at least coming into yesterday, the top three teams in our league, Michigan State, Purdue, and Minnesota, were five and three in non-conference against the Ken Palm top top fifty, and the other eleven teams were zero and sixteen. Right. So that that paints the picture pretty well there of why they're struggling. I think another thing is when you think of the Big Ten, you think of you know really good basketball coaches, and you know Tom Izzo at the top. Obviously, Michigan State's thriving pretty well. Uh, Purdue and Matt Painter, same thing, and, and I think John Beeline will by the end of the year have a pretty good team at Michigan. Um, but you know there was three new head coaches uh, this season, and I think that might have something to do with it as well as to why those mid-tier Big Ten teams, such as Ohio State, Illinois, and Indiana, three schools traditionally that have you know been very solid uh, historically, you know they're in their first year of a new regime. So when they go up against you know, a established ACC or Big East team, you know, it's it's tough in year one, week two or three to, you know, match up with with, with schools that are, uh, you know, already established. And then, you know, you have teams that are on the way up, like you think Rutgers looks to be on the way up. You saw them compete with Michigan State this week. And Florida State. <clears throat> and Florida State, State. Florida exactly. State killed Florida State. Exactly, so. who are not quite there yet, but you can see in the long term how, you know, they might pass up some of these programs that are that are currently beating the Big Ten down. So, you know, I want to get your thoughts. Do you think, while you know the Big Ten might take the lumps this year, that's what it, what it looks like. You know, they've already taken their lumps in the, in the non-conference, and it might come. You know, the reckoning might come on Selection Sunday. Do you think that they've already the damage has been done? That you know this might be a low bid year for the Big Ten in the, when Selection Sunday comes around. Uh, yeah, I feel like the top three probably are you know all top four or five seeds, and you know if we. I, I probably would put the over under right now at five and a half on mm-hmm. you know you can Sounds I wouldn't right. be shocked over or under um, you know the other teams that are fighting it out are right right now are probably bubble teams your eight nines and tens I do think Maryland will wind up being a tournament team I think Michigan will wind up being a tournament team Northwestern Northwestern I mean see because now what you worry about is now that tough. you're now that you're out of the like those chances for marquee wins a lot of teams have gone away because then you get in Big Ten and your top 25 wins, where are they going to come from? I mean, exactly. you're just going to beat up on each other, and then you might have one chance to knock off a of Purdue or Michigan State or Minnesota, right. and the chances have already passed some of the teams by. So, um, Yeah, that's what really hurts the non-conference is that we didn't do a good enough job of taking care of business on the court, so now our RPIs are all going to be low. And they're going to the beat up on each other. And it's just going to be, you know, that's kind of the drawback of having, you know, you tap the parity of the league that on any given night a team can – can win, but there's also teams just beating up on each other, you know. And if you have a bunch of nine and nine conference records, I mean, Selection Sunday, you, you know, looking at it three months out or wherever we are right now, you know, it could be it could be a little dicey. You think? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, now there's certain teams like Michigan still has some work in front of them to get UCLA and Texas. If they're able to win one or two of those, that would certainly help their resume. But I mean, Northwestern, they've got what Oklahoma left, and I think that's about it. I mean. Um, you know, they had chances against Creighton. You know, they lose to Texas Tech by 40. You know, the Georgia Tech loss. I mean, there just isn't a lot out there. Wisconsin's had several chances between Xavier, UCLA, and they just haven't. And those were all, to... again, those were like close games. You right. Know? And that's another team that I should have mentioned is traditionally, you know, great coaching, great program that just down. And then and the chips, you know, didn't fall their way in those I think it was four straight games against ranked teams and right. then now they've kind of hit a lot like you think it, it probably affected their season because you drop four of those in a row then it's hard to get up you know for Ohio State and it's hard, like and, you, and you've seen the results of of uh how that's kind of carried over to their season right um all right so now I want to ask you know we know who's like you said probably gonna be okay Minnesota Purdue Michigan State at all the top even though Minnesota had a tough loss this week to Nebraska who outside of those three do you think will be fine, will be good, and um, you know have a, have a solid season, even though it's kind of hard to tell right now with all the cluster in the middle? Speaking of uh, the Minnesota-Nebraska thing real quick, how about this Nebraska schedule? You get Michigan State, Minnesota, Creighton, and Kansas, Kansas yeah. all in a row. It's a tough stretch. I mean, that's a tough stretch. So, I mean, the Big Ten teams, we're, you know, we're playing, playing people, just got to pull off some of these games, but... Uh, I do think Michigan will wind up being fine. I mean, Beeline's kind of proven it time and time again. Um, 
you know, a lot of people talk about Tom Izzo in March, but it seems like Beeline's teams get a lot better yeah. as the season goes along. And right now they're trying to figure out how to replace Derek Walton, who was such a catalyst for them in their run last year. But, I mean, obviously Mo Wagner is a very talented player. Uh, Charles, Charles Matthews, Matthews looks like the real deal. Abdur Rodman's been yeah. solid for four years. And, yeah, and exactly. I mean, you look at their what they've done. They've lost to LSU, North Carolina, and then they blew a – what, 20 point lead against Ohio State. Right. The VCU win was solid. Mm-hmm. And they're still, they're outscoring opponents by like 12 points per game. So I think, like you said, with those pieces, I think they'll be okay. Um, you know, is there anyone that you think is playing above their heads right now? I mean, I can't tell with Ohio State if, you know, they're 2 0 in the Big Ten um, and they've looked pretty solid. Do you think they'll come back to reality? Do you think there's any teams outside of them that, that uh, you know, are, are maybe even at the bottom, like in Iowa? Are they. Are they in trouble, you know, or do you think there's going to be some ascension back to the mean there? The Iowa thing is interesting just because they don't really guard anybody. So, you know, last year you when you had Peter Jock scoring 20 points a game, you know, it made it things a lot easier for the Jordan Bohannons, Tyler Cooks of the world. Mm-hmm. And now there's no feature guy that's drawing all of the attention. And they're still not playing defense. And they're still not playing right. defense. So, like, Jordan Bohannon's having a lot tougher time getting shots off a lot tougher time running offense because guys are just keying into him. So, I, you know, it, I think it'll be tough for Iowa to get back. Uh, I think Maryland will be fine. I mean, those three freshmen from last year have all gotten better. <laughs> My man Bruno in the middle is Anthony Cowan. Yeah, yeah, Cowan hurt. You saw what they did uh, Sunday night. Right. Recently. You know, they, they would not let, uh, you know, even though it looked like at times they were trying to lose that game after being up big, they would not let uh, – they would not let them lose, yeah. and especially uh, They do the turn the ball over way too yeah. much right now. I mean, I think they're leading all power conference teams in turnovers. But you would think that, you know, with with a guy like Cowan who's gone through a full year of Big Ten play, mm-hmm. that once they start finding themselves over this, uh, you know, semester break, that they should be fine. All right, so we'll wrap up this quick college basketball segment. You know, we're getting back into – there's some marquee games, like you said, but we're getting back into a lot of these directional schools. And it's kind of like, you know, you were teased a little bit there – and now tonight i got to watch Austin P play. You know, it's like, all right, whatever. But um, give me a couple players before we wrap up here, player or two who's really impressed you so far. Um, I think Kata Bates Diop has been a, a very – I mean, he's, he's played so well, and he was forgotten about last year. You know, he played like eight or nine games, and he was out for the year. And Ohio State really struggled just because things have been kind of – things were pretty stale over the last two, three years. Um, I think with Chris Holtman getting in there, there's a lot more energy, and you know they're kind of playing through him a lot more along with Jay Sean Tate. So I think yeah, they got some guys. One. Yeah, they got some guys. Um, I mean, we got to talk about Jordan Murphy, right? I mean, yeah, even, double double every game, right? Every game, double double. And even last, you know, last night he wasn't great. Still found a way to get a double double. But I mean, that's probably why they lost that game last night because he was gotten foul trouble, and like he's right. such an important piece of that team. You know, they got other guys, but. When you got someone like Jordan Murphy who gets two fouls and plays, I think, like eight minutes uh, Tuesday night against Nebraska, it it hurts. Right, absolutely. And I got to give a shout out to uh, Aaron Jordan on Illinois, not only because you know he's leading the entire country in threes right now, three point shooting percentage, he's shooting sixty six percent on thirty five shots, which is just you know that's lights out, and that's you know obviously not going to stay at that rate all season, but still like even if he completely falls off face the map um, going forward. I, I got to eat some crow and admit I was wrong about him because I told anyone who would listen, you know, uh, after John Gross got fired that he's going to be a transfer because he can't play at this level. And I was totally wrong, so I apologize to Aaron Jordan publicly. <laughs> and I'm happy for his success because, by all accounts, he's a kid who really works hard. And we're seeing the fruits of that labor now because, right. I mean, you've seen it. He's been oh yeah shooting the lights. He almost up. won the Wake Forest game by himself. Exactly. So, Aaron Jordan, keep doing what you're doing. H, uh, we'll keep doing what we're doing here. You know, we'll sprinkle in some bowl football talk hopefully in the next couple of weeks, you know, but we'll start moving into basketball as long as uh, as long as long we got you at our disposal here. Yeah, sounds good. Always looking forward to it. All right, man. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks a lot to Tom Fornelli and Harold Shelton for joining me. A lot of good stuff, two of the best in the business. Guys know what they're talking about. And then there's me. So, you know, we had, we had at least two experts on the show and um, try and keep bringing you good stuff as football season winds down. 
football season heats up. So we will cover all that in depth and we'll do that before we turn our full attention to our college basketball, which is just getting started. So keep it locked here on the BTN Take 10 podcast and continue to subscribe, like, rate, and review. And we'll continue to bring on as many good guests as we can from the Big Ten universe. So once again, thanks to Tom Fornelli of CBSSports.com, Harold Shelton, as always, and as always, Wes White, our producer, for producing the show. Also, one last note, Andy Katz is also doing a podcast with us here at BTN. He's a uh, basketball analyst. He's on our show for one episode, and he's covering the sport for Big Ten Network this winter. And we got him on board to do a podcast with us as well. The first episode actually came out, I believe, Wednesday. So that's definitely a must-listen. You know, Andy's one of the most respected college basketball reporters in the country. So definitely check that out as well as we continue to grow our podcast network here at BTN. So for Wes White, for Tom Fornelli, Harold Shelton, thanks to everyone out there for listening. And we'll talk to you next time on the Take 10 Podcast.